Hi, Susan. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it's nice, to hear. it's nice to hear your voice because before today, the last time we spoke was, I don't know, when did when did the life coaching school end? Back in like September, September right? That was probably around the last yeah. time that we spoke. So it was really yeah. good to hear your voice. Um, and it was also good just to hear what's been going on in your life, not to say that it was all good. I mean, it sounds like it's been really challenging, but um, it's still always good to hear about the people that you care about and what's going on. So um, I'm happy we were able to connect in this way. And it, it sounds like the podcast was such like a perfect time based on the meditation that you were talking about, right? Of the little girl wanting you to share her story. Yeah. It's, it's incredible timing, honestly. Yeah, exactly. I think it's amazing. It makes mm-hmm. me, gives me the chills. Yeah. It sounds like that because, you know, I've been interviewing people for months. So it was like perfect that your day to be interviewed happened like right after that. So, um, so I, again, I really appreciate you being here and um, I kind of want to just dive into some of the questions. And the first question I have is about journaling. So it sounds like your uncle giving you this journal was a really huge um, turning point in your life. Not to say that like things suddenly got better for you. I hear that they didn't obviously right away at all, but um, it sounded like he almost handed you like a way to actually deal with stuff. And that journaling is kind of something that's, it's it's been a part of your life ever since, right? You, you're still journaling. Yeah. yeah, I have like, to this day, I probably have like 10 journals. Um, I write all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where I don't, but writing is like definitely my one of my things. And I um, <laughs> just realized it was an art form like a year ago. Like, oh, <laughs> it's an art form. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I've been journaling ever since and I love, I love to write. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a really, I don't know. It was awesome that he like, he like knew something I didn't know. <laughs> what is it about journaling that, like one, that you love so much and two, that has just been so helpful for you throughout your life? Um, cause there's no judgment. I get to write whatever I want. Uh, no one's going to see it. So I get to write whatever I want and I get to have like, it's like my internal dialogue written out, um, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm thinking, um, anything, all the poetry I've ever written and no one gets to grade it. No one gets to judge it. No one gets to decide what it, what it's, what it's going to be except for me. And I, and I also just like, it's just my, it's an outlet. It's something that I just love words and it's something that I get to like, I get to have, like, I I guess I'm free to write whatever I want and anything I want. I think that's so beautiful. And I think it's so, you know, I think people are different, right? So I just think an outlet's so important. So for you, it's journaling for someone else. It might be talking for someone else. It might be art, but a process or a way to get the things that are inside of your head, just out of your head. And I, and I know for you, you said like you were really, you got very quiet and you really didn't talk and your voice kind of went away. And so I'm sure it was so such an amazing relief for you to just be able to get something out in some form, whether it was actually like vocally or 
written down, you know, and I hear that writing was so important to you because there's no judgment. You know, you can literally say anything that you want to say and no one's going to read it and and no one's going to tell you it should have been different or like, how dare you have written that and, and all of those things. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it actually took a while for me to not judge what I was writing too, because I wanted to be such a good person <laughs> mm-hmm. and I didn't want to say mean things, but um, even though I was saying them to myself all the time, I when I eventually like realized like, okay, no one's going to read this. I can say whatever I want. I don't know when that point was, but it did happen um, very soon off. But like, it was definitely, I remember that being a thought in my head, like, oh no. So you, you mentioned, you know, you journal, but like you also write poetry and you had told me towards the beginning of chatting today that you had just written a poem that is about your eating disorder, right? And you just shared it even with your mom. And, you know, if you want to share it here, I think that would be amazing. I would love to. (laughs) Cool. Um, Yeah. It's, I don't share, like share my poetry a lot, a lot, but I just, um, yeah, I would love to. Um, March 4th, uh, 2018. Dear Ed, did you know we only use 10% of our conscious mind? With that, I have a few things to say. I have let you bite away at my thoughts. I've let you gnaw at my mind like a dog's favorite chew toy, except the drool is replaced with the high and low tides of water running down my eyes. You've talked to me as if I was getting paid to your abuse, as if you locked me in a room full of mirrors that reflected the pieces of me, the pieces I picked apart degrading each ounce of my skin tone, taking cuts at each curve to the thighs that allow me to walk. You have taken countless shots at the very place that hold me together. At my core, I know you're just a bad habit. And I know you're so real that my entire body was screaming at you as if in a burning down house. I was on fire with flames. I was throwing at you with 90% of me. You became an involuntary muscle I didn't know could beat so hard. You made me sore in every fucking inch of me. From my veins to my bones, you crept into every ounce of every day. If you were a guy, I'd find you annoying. Yet you became the sweetest venom I've ever tasted. Dressed up in jeans that fit like a glove and a shirt that hugged my hips without the love handles to match. An illusion to an illusion of perfection, right down to the purple sunken in bags, as if it was full to hold any change. You showed me a broken mirror. This whole time, the thing was cracked with my vision. To, re- to realize I couldn't breathe when you crept into my blood and restricted flow to my heart where the cold grew numb. Frozen like winter, you turned me into a sculpture made of flesh covered in the thickest ice, left me with the corners of my mouth turned up into something that resembled a smile. <laughs> you, cr- you crippled my body to the point where walking was a chore. You seeped into my joints and dried me up as if you beat the sexuality right out of me without even using a finger. You made me question if I was human. You had me contemplating never waking up again, and I let you. I allowed you to become the controller to my video game. I gave you the gift of life. I blindedly handed my, over my life to you. Then I chose to give you my life. I gave you control of where I would go, what I'd do, who I'd be around, if I'd be around anyone, what I'd wear, and eventually, if I'd even get out of bed to see the light of day. I became you. Every inch of my fiber was stitched to your liking, uncomfortable and starving, painful. I became the epitome of everything I saw in the people around me. Painfully inflamed by all their demons, eating them from the inside out, you became a termite to the most delicious sequoia you'd ever seen. Once you took a nibble, you couldn't stop. I let you hurt me the way I hurt from them. The way they cared for me, I cared for me. So in the most sadistic way, I want to say thank you. Thank you for biting, gnawing, stabbing, shooting, burning, pulling, and freezing me. Thank you for waking me up from a slow brew of death. 
Thank you for acknowledging every part of me. Thank you for con- the constant painful yet constant reminder for two years and again this past summer. For finding every way to get to me, to communicate to me. Thank you for communicating that I needed help. Thank you for reminding me that I'm alive, that, is, that my body is 90% of this human awareness. Thank you for the tides before the calm, for reminding me that I'm best when a tide, tide and currents are flowing. Thank you for bringing me back to myself, to having compassion to a heart that once didn't feel unless I worked out for an hour, took a hike, did some yoga, and then pissed at herself for eating a granola bar. Thank you for continuously showing up when I needed to reach out the most. Thank you for being the fire alarm. Thank you for not killing me. Thank you for being my trauma, for going through parts of my life with me. Susan. Wow. How do you feel after reading that? It feels really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really does. What feels good about it? Um, it's true. It's very true. Um, I feel like when I read it to my mom, it felt different. But reading it here, it feels complete in a way. You know, some things that I heard in that was one of the main things was about like on a physical level, the pain that you felt like I hear Mm -hmm. just in your story, but also in that poem, like you felt it in your bones, you felt it in your joints, you felt it in your nerves. Like there was actually internal nerve damage that had happened. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and then I also like, it made me think of, um, you know, in the life coaching school that you and I did, how they call it the gremlins, but just like how the internal voices actually, sometimes if you listen to them, they're giving you clues to something. And so the whole section of the thank you, it's like you tortured me, but you also illuminated to me that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And then like through that, there's been a little bit more of like a call to heal yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very connected to like what we learned in the school for sure. Um, Cause that's a, it's a way of like my body's talking to me and I'm not listening. Right. And it's, it's just so interesting that when, when like I developed a relationship with my body and I really started to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I still want it, but it's like, I'm not just knocking now. I'm going to scream at you. Right. And right. Screaming is more like a really terrible pain coming from my thighs because anger won't be let out. Anger wasn't let out. Right. And I've held down anger for so long. So it's just mm-hmm. so interesting that that's what the body holds for me anyway. I don't know how it reacts on other people, but for me, my body is like the number one, <laughs> like my number one friend in this. It's like, mm-hmm. I have to have a relationship with it or else I will hear from it soon. <laughs> So. Yeah, I actually love that that you just said that. It's like, because I think in the throes of eating disorders, most people would not say that their body's their number one friend. Like, your body's actually, at least from my experience, my body felt like my main enemy. Like, you even mm-hmm. said, like, um, at some point in your story, that like your body was doing things that you didn't want it to do. And like, it, it, it was controlling you and you wanted to be controlling it. Like there was almost like a war between them, which I think I remember so distinctly, like a war between my mind and my body. And so I love that you were just like, my body's actually my main friend in this. 
And I think that's so true because it reminds me of um, like the best friends in my life are the ones that won't let me get away with shit. Right. So like I'm trying to do something that's hurting me. They're the ones to be like, actually, you should probably stop that because all you're doing is hurting yourself, even though like maybe right now you don't realize it. It's the ones that call me on my shit. And it almost sounds like that's what your body does for you. Like, hey, Susan, I'm going to start to give like a stabbing pain in the thighs because you're angry and you're hurting yourself by not actually letting that anger out. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Because I've become really good at like, the, the the like convincing myself to be able to convince others <laughs> that I'm fine. <laughs> right. So it's like now, like my body's like you can't get away with it anymore. Like you can't at all. Right. I love that about bodies. My body, um, like whenever I'm upset, I get like this. Like I I still to this day, like I don't love talking about when I'm really upset. It's not that I don't process it, but it's not like if someone's like, "Are you okay?" I don't. I don't like saying, no, I'm not okay. But my whole chest, and I don't know if you've ever seen this happen in me, you may have, then um, you probably just thought I had like a rash, but my whole my whole chest <laughs> will get red up through my neck and down through my arms and sometimes up into mm-hmm. my cheeks. So like if I'm upset and someone asks and I say no, they're like, um, clearly there's something wrong with you. Like you cannot lie about not being okay because your body's telling a different story. Hmm. That's so interesting. No, I haven't ever seen that on you, but like start to notice it because it for sure happens. But it's, it's just, it's interesting. It's a, you know, the body doesn't let, like you said, it's like the, actually the best friend. Um, It reminds me in my story when I talk about one of my friends in college that at one point was just like, I can't be your friend anymore if you don't get better. And at the time I thought she was such a bitch. And I was like, I cannot believe you would drop me at this point in my life. Like I'm struggling. And then years and years later in therapy, my therapist was like, she was actually the best friend that you had because she's the only one that didn't commiserate with you. And so that's yeah. kind of what this is reminding me of. Our our bodies actually being our strongest allies. And it's just a matter of like either listening to them or just like beating them down. Mm-hmm. When you were at your sickest, like what do you think your body was trying to tell you? Um, with all of that pain that you were feeling, well, if they, if your body had words, what was it saying? Uh, get me out of here. <laughs> That's what keeps coming to me right now. It's like, mm-hmm. get me out of here. Like, what are you doing holding me hostage? <laughs> like, let me be free. Yeah. When you feel free, what does your body feel like then? Oh, like it feels so good. I feel like I, I just feel so flexible. Um, I, I just, I like my body feels light. It doesn't feel light like a feather, I guess. Like I, I feel like I don't, I'm not in pain at all. Um, yeah, I'm not in pain and it, it feels like I can just fly. <laughs> I've just recently taken up aerial yoga. Mm-hmm. I've tried it and it feels like I just want to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like I just want to like do things that I, I can't do unless I practice, but I want to do them. Like I want to, it makes me want to like keep going, especially like it makes me want to like just soak all this in, like soak all the, this good feeling in. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, you and I were talking about that, some people, like some people are super rational people, like they're thinkers, they're in their head, they like facts. And then like some people are 
so about like somatics and their body. And obviously there's a huge balance and like mixture of things in between, but it sounds to me like you're a very somatic person. Like you feel things in your body, you feel pain in your body. And that's why I imagine yoga made a difference and that Reiki made a difference. And, um, and so I guess, you know, and I love that you said like the issues in your tissues, right? Like your body really holding in, like your tissues are holding in the issues of your body. And until, you know, you go into certain yoga postures or you allow certain body work to happen, they don't, you know, you got to learn how to get release, get that release, you know, and once it's released and suddenly the pain goes away. Um, and I, you know, we've spoken, not like you and I, but on this podcast, I think a lot of people have spoken about yoga, but not that many, well, nobody really has said anything about Reiki. And so I'm wondering um, if you could like explain a little bit about what it is to your knowledge and how you think that it helped you. So I hear you were doing it a lot when you were, when you moved to Florida, right? Yeah. That's when I found Reiki. Um, uh, Reiki is energy healing. And that's the best way for me to describe it. It's just energy healing and the person um, being a vessel, which is the person like, I, I don't know the best verb, but person doing Reiki on someone is a vessel for whoever they're, whoever they're laying down and they're doing Reiki on. Like we'll just say the client for lack of a better word. Um, they're cha- like, they're letting the person that's receiving their higher self, whoever's working with them, it's very, it's a very kind of spiritual thing. Flow th- for me anyway, flow through them to give them what they need. So I just become a vessel for this person or vice versa. And um, some people it's a little more physical, but for me, it wasn't because the people I was doing it with and how we were doing it. And it's just like you can do hands-on or you don't have to. Um, I like to start with hands-on and see where it guides me because I feel like people, especially new to it, feel more comfortable being touched. I ask them to. So like they feel more comfortable being touched rather than just having someone hover over them <laughs> with their hands because um, it can seem kind of silly even though if you're not used to it or you're not uh, open to it completely. But the only way it works is if you're open to it. You have to be open to it. No one can penetrate your like outer, your subtle bodies. That's what I've learned anyway. Your, su- your subtle bodies um, are the other layers of the physical body. And the physical body is like the deepest part because it's physical, it's real, it's the slowest moving energy. And when um, you place your hands upon it, it's like picturing... For me, it's different for everyone else, but for other people, it's it's always going to be different. Reiki is very broad, but I, you know, I get clear and channel like whoever is guiding them, whatever is happening. And if I feel pain and sometimes I actually channel, like I can hear and, and see things and um, feel certain things um, doing Reiki. So for me, being the giver of Reiki is a very... Uh, it's a very, um, it can be very personal. I can get to know someone very well through their energy. And Reiki allowed me to realize how energy is like a language and that it's, and receiving it is like, when I allow myself to receive it, it's like, it's really, it's self-love. It's giving myself love and the care that whoever is guiding me, whoever is with me at this time, like knows something that I don't and knows something that I need. And Reiki is like, 
it, it was a way to like really feel this energy and really feel things in a way that I didn't feel before. Um, to like feel pain lift away because it has happened with me that Reiki has helped cure pain in me. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really amazing. So if, you know, if you've never done it and you want to try it, it's not something I do all the time anymore. Um, it's something I feel like I channeled into my life, um, weaved it in in a different way, like how I communicate with people and stuff like that. Um, and I do do it sometimes. It's not that I don't, but it was definitely at that time just a really, um, a really cool thing to be like, oh, if I just touch or, you know, think about this here or allow this to happen here, like something lifts off and something can be helped and served depending on how deep the issue is and how much I can really clear myself to be a, a clear vessel for, for my body or for anyone else's. I hope that does it justice. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, cause I just think some people don't, first of all, don't know what it is at all. And second of all, and it, it's probably not for everybody. Like you said, you've got to be open to it. And I think that's actually true for any kind of treatment. Like you have to be open to what you're going to receive. Otherwise it's just not going to work. Um, yes. So I guess the same thing goes with Reiki. Um, and so you had mentioned that you very recently started going to therapy for the first time, right? Yes. Um, and that she, it's, it's like talk psychotherapy, but that she also does some other kinds of things that you're finding helpful. So um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, the other kinds of modalities that she's using with you that you're finding really helpful in your recovery. For sure. Um, first of all, I love, I love therapy. <laughs> I didn't think I would love it so much, but I do. Um, she, we do emotion code. And EFT tapping. Um, I've only done tapping once and it was really cool. I, I really like the emotion code just because I am a very somatic person and I feel things. Um, and so emotion code, the best way I can describe it is, so when I, when things are like locked inside me, like when emotions are locked inside of me, I'll feel it. And it's like, there's certain places in the body that I feel those things. And we don't go off based off that. She literally has, but that's important to know. She has a piece of paper and she just asks like, is the emotion like, oh, sorry, let me backtrack. So you put your, you put, you bring your finger and your thumb together um, on one hand and then you loop around your finger and your thumb with your other hand. And um, you, like say yes and it locks. So yes is it locks and then no is it it um it breaks. And you kind of have to teach your brain to do that a few times so that like you're knowing that this is yes and that is no. And your body is like learning that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like you're what are you doing? Okay. You're like practicing mo moving your fingers together and then if yeah, so like you're, it becomes a chain. Like your your both your thumb and your pointer finger right. come I'm, together I'm kind on of one side it, and the yeah, other. I'm kind of doing it now. Yeah, so and I've it, got, So what is yes then? If I like bring my hands together and it doesn't break. Yeah, if your finger and your thumb stay together, it's it's a yes. You have to like almost like train yourself to say yes, and then no is when it breaks apart. Right. Like no, it breaks apart. Like well, only one side, like one finger and thumb stay right stay together. Okay. Yeah. That so makes sense. it's like. 
yeah, so it's like that. And then, so she basically just says, is the emotion in row A or is the emotion in row B? And it's like, my body will tell me, like, without thinking, like, it just, and sometimes it's, it's easier for certain people than not, but this really proved to be very, very helpful for me. Um, so, like, if the emotion was in row A, my, fi- my fingers would lock. I'm like, okay. So then she goes down, like, is it emotion one, two, or three? And this is all she says. And so, like, she goes through all that. And then when we come down to the emotion, like, when it's actually pinpointed and my fingers stay locked for the specific one, it's interesting to what the emotion comes out to be and where it's said to be stored in the body. Um, and it's really interesting because when you find that, it, it always came to be very true. And we've done three emotions, three or four emotions in one session. And after she's done finding, after we are done finding the first emotion, she takes this like magnet. So it's like, think of like an inline skate, but it's not that long. It's shorter. And it's like a few magnets and she runs it down my spine three times. And the emotion is said to be released. And then we've done it a couple of times. Then we'll go into talking about if I can remember where the emotion came from. We go back and talk about where and unpack that. And I, that has been so helpful for me. It's so interesting and, and it can only work if you're open to it for sure. And it's so cool. I I loved it. And then the tapping is, and it's, but it's very like, she always says like really take care of yourself after the emotion code. Like, um, I felt really great those t- t- two times that I think we did it two times. The two times that we've done it, I felt so good after, and it did release things the the next few weeks until I saw her. So it's like it's like with Reiki, it's like the same thing with Reiki. Sometimes, like sometimes, like you'll feel really great, but then the healing will happen. So it's like you feel really great, and then things come up, and it's for you to notice and be aware of those things. So it's just, it's really, I love, I love the emotion code. And then the EFT tapping is like you tap, there's certain points that we tap already tap like naturally, like on your chest, on your chin, um, your cheeks, um, on your forehead, on the top of your head. And we only did this once, but there's a lot of information out on this and it's proven to work. And, um, I've done it. Um, I like, I'll, I have a book. I'm going to research it a little more, but I've heard tapping for a lot of people with eating disorders. I've I've heard a lot of success Mm -hmm. stories with tapping for sure. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know about it. Well, I've heard of it. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know that much about it. No, no, no. It's cool. I I don't know that much about it, but yeah, I've for sure heard about tapping. And I've also heard that it's super helpful for people, especially I think that are dealing with like traumatic, like traumatic events that it's supposed to be helpful in that way as well. And again, I, I think I've done it once or twice, but I got to tell you when I did it, I definitely was not open to it. So it didn't really do anything to me. It was really in the thick of my eating disorder, but um, I have heard it prove successful for a lot of people. Cool. Yeah, it it is proven to be successful for a lot of people. I have heard that too. Um, I this I only tried it this one time, but it was very helpful. I felt when I went in. I remember going in the session and being like kind of anxious, like my heart was beating, and then afterwards I felt I felt very calm and like centered. Um, and it was it's you you go through you basically say depending on what it was for me, it was something to do with not having a voice and, um, being yelled at a lot. And, um, so I, 
you say she like I repeated after her like because I didn't know what to do and so you repeat that and she'll start like saying things and you'll tap on one spot for a few seconds then you'll go to the next spot and then you'll go to the next spot so it's like you're tapping like your head your forehead under your eyes your chin your chest your shoulders under your armpits like there's certain it's like this little it's like it reminded me of like head shoulders knees and toes in a way <laughs> like that silly like song when we like growing up like head shoulders knees and toes but like it's like tapping for different parts um it's like the best way I can describe it because I don't know enough about it yeah no I love that and I like the the whole emotion code thing is really cool because it's like even in and I think EFT is probably the sim similar and I think like EMDR which I don't I don't know that you've done that it's another kind of therapy that I think it's just it's like a just ways of getting out of your head and more into like more into your body, you know? So like it, the motion code thing reminds me, like, even if, if she showed you a list and was like, is it an A or B? And like, you had to think about it, you might not be able to like, cause your thoughts will get too jumbled. But if you just go purely on body response, then, you know, your body knows. I, I was reading yeah. a, one of my favorite quotes that I've loved for a really long time was by um, like Nietzsche and it was like there's more intelligence in your human body than there's more intelligence in your body than in any philosophies you could ever read right it's like the body who was that by um Nietzsche Nietzsche okay cool Um, yeah it's just it's amazing but it's also just so true it's we get in the way we just get in the way of the body and when you let the mind kind of think about things and it's like holy crap it's just hard to come up with an answer but if you just yeah. actually listen and like take the head out of it and just purely go based on the body that a lot of times you learn a lot more faster too like you go deeper more quickly because the head's not in the way yeah it's true it is and cuz my head can like and I'm sure a lot of us most of us with eating disorders can't speak for everyone, but I was in my head a lot <laughs> trying to rationalize things and I couldn't, and it just didn't work for me. And it's just so interesting. It's so interesting that like I found a whole new world in my body. Like I do believe that all our wisdom is inside of us. And it's so cool to know that like, Oh, I can just always go inside. Mm-hmm. I can always go in there. And it's, it's such a, it's, it's like, it it constantly blows my mind. Like I love when something constantly blows my mind, um, kind of like synchronicity. And like this is something that constantly blows my mind. It's like every time I resist it, but then when I go in there, I find exactly what I needed to know. It's like, okay, Susan, you just need to keep doing this. <laughs> I need to be okay with it. It's, it's wild. It's so wild. So um, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about, um, so I hear that, you know, like you're talking about, like it's just the the wisdom in the human body and like what happens when you actually listen to your body is like mind blowing. And I think that that is true, like for physically what we do with our bodies, you know, like you love yoga and other people love other things, but also you know, with what we put in our bodies. And you had mentioned that you've been a vegetarian for a really long time and that at one point you were also a vegan. And this is something I come up, um, I don't want to say like I come up against it, but I come up on it a lot 
particularly being in the yoga world, because I find like a lot of people that practice yoga are vegetarians or vegans. And, um, you know, sometimes I definitely, in my head, I'm kind of like, I don't know if you're like actually a vegan or if like you said, it's just your excuse to not have to eat a lot of things. Cause I also find that as much as yoga helps a ton of people, there's a lot of people that practice and teach yoga that definitely have hidden eating disorders, whether or not they're actually hidden or just they're not vocal about it, but that eating disorders also really run crazy in the yoga world, probably because yoga is helping them. You know, like there's a call to yoga because yoga is getting them in tune with their body in some way. But I do find that sometimes symptoms are kind of taken out on the avenue of veganism or vegetarianism. And um, I hear for you like currently, and I think it sounds like for a lot of your life that the vegetarianism wasn't I hear that in the beginning, it was maybe about a way to restrict what you could eat, um, but that you still to this day are still a vegetarian and that that's something that's really stuck with you, whereas the veganism hasn't. Um, so what like what is it about being a vegetarian that works for you? Like why, I guess what works for you or like why are you a vegetarian? What What was the choice behind that? Um, the choice was really silly, um, but became something really, like really profound. I learned a lot about it and, um, I, I don't, once I stopped eating meat, I just never thought about it again. And growing up in a household where, you know, like classic Irish, like meat, potatoes, veggies, it's very true. Even though mom's a great cook, just side note. Um, she, we ate a lot of meat, but then it just wasn't hard for me not to eat meat. And then I learned about it and I was like, oh, like this is actually like, you know, affecting our, affecting the earth. This is actually like, you know, very inhumane. Like, what are we doing here? Like, this is not, this isn't right. Like, this doesn't make sense. And now it's like, I've like done many experiments with myself because I want to make sure that I'm not doing this like I'm doing, I don't know, I'm doing it for whatever reason I, I need to be doing it or I want to be doing it, I guess. And it's like, I don't really think about me. It's just not in my, like, if I go to think about food, meat's just not a category anymore. It's just something I don't think about. But with um, like dairy and stuff like that, um, I eat eggs. I like eggs um, very much so. And, but like with dairy and like, I've, you know, tried non-gluten and those, that, Eating non-dairy at first was because it was an easier way for me to restrict myself and not have to explain it to other people. And now it's come back and forth to the point where it's like, okay, I know dairy doesn't make me feel good at all. Like it gives me a headache. It makes me feel sluggish. And if I'm like, want a piece of pizza, I'm going to eat a piece of pizza because it's just like, it's good. I want like, this is something that we made. And I know that like most of the time, like I'm a very healthy person and I don't like, I don't need to like just... I don't need to like completely take something out of my life because it will put me like it, it doesn't put me back in the mindset, but it brings that up. Like it brings it up. Like, are you sure? Like, you know, you could eat this, like, it's okay. And, and like a parts of me are a part of me will be like, um, an old cycle will come up being like, you know, if you eat this, you'll like, you'll look like feel like this and you'll look like this. And it's like, no, like I'm going to be okay. Like I'm going to eat this. Um, and it's been the same thing like with gluten. Gluten doesn't make me feel my best, 
but I'm not going to not eat gluten if I really want it. Like I, I, I'm a healthy person. And that's what I've come to realize is like health versus being like, just like crazy. Cause if I'm, I think oh, I like to travel. So if I go travel somewhere and for some reason they can't go abide by the, my restrictions, what am I going to do? I got, I got to like, I just have to allow myself to know that like there's, you know, there's other, like, I'm okay with eating certain things. Um, and it's, I don't, I like, I just don't, yeah, I just, I don't, I think that moderation is important with, you know, stuff like that. Cause it's like, like we made these things and it's like interesting to try to. Right. And, you know, I think with eating disorders, a lot of people with eating disorders just make these crazy food rules, right? So like, I can't eat this, mm-hmm. I can't eat this. And a lot of times it's not based in anything other than a fear. Um, like it's not like a scientific reason why they can't eat it, or it's not because it makes them feel like shit other than the fact that it sends them into like a panic. Um, and so you and I were talking a little bit about like, what is actually healthy, right? And I, I was saying yeah. that there was a, something a while ago where um, I read online that was like, you know what's healthier than kale? Having a healthy relationship <laughs> with food. And I remember once going out to uh, lunch with one of my friends who's also a yoga instructor and I ordered a, a soda. And she's like, God, I love it when I'm with yoga teachers that order sodas. And I'm like, yes, because I fucking like soda sometimes. And so- <laughs> Like, it's just not a big, it's it's just not a big deal to me because I, I like it, you know? And, um, it reminds me of another time that I was, I'm on a lot of like Facebook eating disorder recovery groups. And there was someone that posted something about being in a panic because her therapist was challenging her to wear a pair of jeans. And like, she was in such fear of wearing jeans and I don't know what the rationale behind it was. I don't know what it brought up in her, but it reminds me of, um, our teacher Kobe saying like, there's a difference between resistance and preference. And usually what we resist is a clue that there's actually something deeper that we should probably look into. So like when you chose to be a vegan for reasons that weren't like societal, you know, it was reasons that were eating disordered, you know, there was probably a lot to learn about your resistance to eating dairy, you know, because it was just a symptom. Um, And there was probably something for this woman that posted in the Facebook group to learn about wearing jeans because it's like, where is this fear, this resistance about wearing jeans coming from? That being said, there's also such thing as preference, right? Like I prefer to wear yoga pants. I teach a lot of yoga. I find them really comfortable and I find them more comfortable than jeans. So my preference is yoga pants. However, you know, if I'm going out to dinner somewhere and they're like, you can't wear leggings, I'm not going to freak out because I can, I'll just wear mm-hmm. them. It's not a big deal. And it sounds like that's kind of where you are a little bit with, with food. It's like I, you actually now just have a preference for things rather than you physically feel better when you're not eating dairy. That being said, if you're traveling and there's, they can't give you a non-dairy option, you're not going to panic. You know, you're just going to eat what's there. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of like, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I just, I feel like that's where like the, the yoga helps step in is like being mindful and aware and like noticing like what's, what's happening um, and how I can just, go like keep going with it and be flexible um in that way right because a lot of us if it it, no go ahead (laughs) if it was 
if it, if it was back then, um, I wouldn't eat, I would choose not to eat anything. And that's silly. <laughs> right. It can be very silly. It could come to be very silly. Cause like, right. Oh, you choose not to eat anything. Like people are like, you sound crazy. And I'm like, no, I don't. How do I sound crazy? <laughs> and now I'm like, Oh, um, yeah. Not that I, I yeah, agree that I could be kind of crazy sometimes, but you know, it's just like, yeah. Now I'm like, Oh, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll eat that. No doubt. I got to try. Like I, got to nourish this body of mine it reminds me were you in the um were you in the group with blanning at the leadership intensive or no 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 okay no. so Bl- yeah blanning was my first interview on here and, and she did the leadership program too and in her cool. interview she was talking about yoga also helping her but she was talking about like the mental flexibility that she's learned through yoga. So not just yeah. about like how to get more flexible with your body, but what it means to actually have some mental flexibility. And I find that that's so helpful in eating disorder recovery um, because a lot of us, again, it's this rules that we create and there's a rigidity around these rules and what it's like to like have some flexibility around those rules. And I think that freedom a lot of times comes from that ability, like the ability to actually have a mental flexibility. Um, And that's kind of what it sounds like you're talking about is like when you were really sick, it was like, I don't eat dairy. And if you have everything with dairy that I'm just not going to eat, because my rule is that I don't eat dairy. Right. And then like the mental flexibility comes in. It's like, all right, I prefer not to eat dairy because it gives me headaches. But if I want pizza or if you don't have an option, that's not dairy, then Okay. Like, and then I'm just going to eat it. And as a side note, just for the people that are listening, like I eat me, I eat everything. So I just also want them yeah. to hear that like every people have preferences, right? And there's just like things that make different people feel better. For me, I don't feel like any kind of food makes me feel in any way. So I don't have, I eat meat, I eat dairy, I eat gluten, I eat sugar. I eat literally, I'll eat almost anything um, except cool. for mushrooms and asparagus because I just don't like them. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Whenever someone's like, is there oh. anything you don't eat? I'm like, I don't eat mushrooms, asparagus, or artichokes. But other than that, I'll eat artichokes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but like um, really healthy. <laughs> I know. All of these like quote unquote really mm. healthy things I don't like. But again, it's because it's a preference thing. Like I just don't like them. Yeah. And so what's yeah. healthy for me is actually not forcing myself to eat these things that are healthy. Like that people like nutritionally would say are healthy because mentally that's not healthy for me. Like I can eat way more. There's other options, you know? And so I think that's where health is not just about what you ingest on a physical level. You know, health is also, we were taught, we were just talking about um, this other Facebook thread that someone just posted about, um, you know, what's your favorite green food to eat? And people were like broccoli and kale and spinach and avocados. And like, yes, great. Nutritionally, they've got a lot of value. But my answer was like dyed green bagels. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, yeah. because I like them and because <laughs> they remind me of like being in school. And like, there was always yeah. a parent that just brought in dyed green bagels on St. Patrick's Day. And like, so for me, that mental association and that memory And just the taste, but like that all makes me feel good. And so for me, that's healthier than forcing myself to eat a bowl of steamed spinach. Not to say that like spinach for taste. I actually do like spinach. You know, but it's just right. But there's just like again, it's I think it's a mental flexibility thing that health lives outside of just 
nutrition, what nutritional value foods have, you know, there's, there's health in being able to, like you said, moderation and like, just, you know, if all of your friends are home and someone's bringing a slice of pizza over and everybody else is eating pizza, then eating that, you know, and being with your friends and having a good time. And, um, so the whole reason I just brought that entire thing up though, was just like, (laughs) (laughs) vegetarianism and veganism. And like, I'm not someone that like, I have clients that are vegans or vegetarians. And if they're doing it for reasons other than the fact that it's restrictive of their food intake, I don't fight them on that. I think that that's fine. Like it's okay to have values and principles. And, and that is not Mm -hmm. something as a coach that I would ever have someone um, try to change simply because we're saying that you need to have meat as part of a balanced diet. I think that there's ways then you've got to make up for what you're not getting. Um, but I, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a difference between being resistant and doing those things as a symptom of your eating disorder and choosing vegetarianism or veganism because there's a cause that you feel really connected to. Yeah, that's, I definitely agree with that. It's, there's more to it. And it's like, it's just going back to like the yoga is like yoga helped like yoga just like seeped into like different parts of life. And I think it's like helpful to become aware of that, especially if you have an eating disorder. Um, it's just, it's, yeah, I, I think it's funny. Yeah. And, and it, 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 when you said the green bagels, it reminds me of green eggs and ham. Exactly. <laughs> the Dr. Seuss like, yeah, I like green eggs and ham. <laughs> right. I'm like, sure. I probably do. Like I actually don't, I would probably eat that. <laughs> I encourage um, you. <laughs> yeah, uh, if it wasn't a blizzard here for the third week in a row in New Jersey, maybe I would, but I don't think I have those ingredients. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually love that this, it, you know, it reminds me of what you said a lot in your story of, especially like early on in your recovery of just like learning to have a different kind of relationship with food. And like you kept saying, like, I was actually forming a relationship with food. I was learning about food and I was starting to get curious about cooking my own food and shopping for myself. And, um, you know, I, I think that they do that a lot in treatment facilities is like, how do you actually, how can food become like the last, I think two podcast episodes ago, the, the interview that I was having with Jessica, she was saying like, recovery sometimes felt like a choice and other times it felt like a chore. And I think that especially Mm -hmm. early on in recovery, just eating feels like a chore. And so it's not enjoyable. It's just like, I'm being told I have to do this. So I'm going to do this. Um, But when we can start to form an actual relationship with food, then it, it, it becomes less of a chore. You know, I hate cooking, which is fine, you know, but some people love cooking and that's a way that they form Mm -hmm. this relationship with food. You know, for me, food, there's a lot of memories linked for food. And that's like, I think for me, a way, good memories that I form a new relationship with food, like the pasta sauce that reminds me of my grandmother or like the not the Italian knot cookies that like, like I have a lot of, mm. I feel like my relationships linked with memories, but I also think like a lot of people when they learn to shop for themselves and cook for themselves. And um, when you're the way that you eat becomes less about just like foods that you have to get in for the sake of your meal plan and more about like, holy crap, I just created this cohesive meal and it tastes good, you know? And it sounds like both in the beginning of your recovery. And then it also sounds like when you were in California and then you came back that you've kind of had this like ever developing relationship with food. And um, I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to 
what that relationship looks like today. Now, and I'm also here, I also know that like you just went through the eclipse, right? You just went through like a six month period of like crappy. Yeah. Um, but, or, so maybe what it looks like today or just like when you're feeling really good, what does that relationship of, with food look like? Well, today it does look really good. Um, the eclipse, I was still eating um, because I was like, I need to eat. I need to eat. It's okay to eat. Um, uh, right now, though, like I made a, a really delicious Thai soup last night. I, I learned to really love to cook because um, I crave things that I can't just buy sometimes. Like I crave weird, like I like, I don't know, not weird, but I crave certain things that I want in my body that are good for me. Um, and I, so I have to cook them. And so for me, sometimes cooking is a chore because it's like, I don't have enough time. I have to run from, from work to yoga and, or like, like run from this, or this job to, to teaching yoga or like, you know, do this and then do that. And it's like, sometimes I don't have the time to make exactly what I want, but I'm learning to like meal prep, but it's, it's so much, it's like, it's kind of a meditation for me. Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I listen to like a podcast or um, something like I follow tarot readers and astrologers and like stuff like that. I like listen to certain things while I cook as well. Um, and I just, I cook because like I enjoy making something delicious that my body and I love that I love because I used to cook and it used to taste like shit, but I'd eat it because I needed to eat. But now it's like, oh, I can actually make things taste really yummy and eat them. Um, cause I used to bake a lot when I was younger, like I would bake for everyone. I wouldn't eat it, but I would bake for everyone else. Um, and I think that like kind of translation to like, my mom loved to cook. I, and I learned to like, love to cook. I don't like, I'm not someone who's like, um, I don't know, making, I don't know. I, I think I make pretty good food and I, and I like to share it with people too. So I like to eat meals with people as well. Um, I eat alone, um, uh, like more often, but I do, I really enjoy eating meals with people now. It's like become apparent to me that it's like a really nice thing to enjoy together. So that's like, I feel like that's how it's also changed because eating with people is not ideal <laughs> when I'm like in the thick of it all. Right. What do you love about eating with people now? It's like, it helps like I feel like the meal is just enjoyed so much better because then we end up talking about food and how much we love food anyway while we're eating food. Um, it's just, it's it's nice to have like company um, enjoying something so deli- like like nourishing our bodies, like eating, like at the yoga studio I'm involved in, we, on the weekends, like a bunch of us, like whether it's Sunday or Saturday, um, we, a lot of us eat together after at the bistro that I also work at. Um, and it's just really enjoyable thing to just like talk and hang out and relax, be able to relax and have food in front of us and just know that like, um, so like it's become like a, it's become gratitude. And there are times where I like, I eat really fast and I'm like, Oh, why did I eat that so fast? But I was like, I loved it though. Like, and then I like, you know, when I slow down and eat, it's like, I'm just really grateful that I, I'm able to be this now, able to enjoy my food now. Like it's, it's such a cool thing to have like seen this whole thing, like see myself go through this whole thing of like hating food to now like really appreciating the fact that I can enjoy it without 
like stabbing myself in the brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's like a really, it's a really cool thing. And then with people, it's, it makes it even better. It just makes it like more of an experience for sure. So the la- the thing that I want to end with, and um, you and I talked a little bit about this before is this idea of the hero's journey. And um, just when you told your story, it reminded me so perfectly of like the quintessential hero's journey. And so for people that aren't listening, the hero's journey, I think it was originally supposed to kind of be like a literary device. And it was um, Joseph Campbell, I think was the creator of it. And it was like a way to, to both write stories, but also explain stories of where there's a hero or a heroine and they go through this whole journey and then they like wind up somewhere. And so examples of that are the wizard of Oz is like a perfect example of it. Harry Potter, star Wars, um, like every Disney movie, but Susan, you and I were talking about (laughs) specifically the lion King. And so, um, like an example of, and you might have to help me with this because I hear that you, I think your knowledge of the lion King is probably better than mine is. However, I did just recently watch it. (laughs) It was on TV. Um, but like, the example is like the hero's journey starts with like the ordinary world. So what would you say like Simba's ordinary world is? Simba like grew up and he just grew up like knowing he was going to be king someday, but like didn't really understand. He was very young. He was just a little cub mm-hmm. and he was just playing around and he could do certain things, but he couldn't do certain, he knew he could do certain things, but he knew he couldn't do certain things because he was, um, Mufasa's son. He was the son of the king, and he knew that like Nala was his best friend. And then he learns that like he's gonna have to marry her. He's gonna have to take over someday. And he was just uh, a kid. He was just playing around, just lots of joy. He had lots of joy, and he knew he'd be fine. That's his, that was his ordinary world before it all right. happened. And so then his call to action or his call to adventure. Um, his call to adventure, um, when, was when his father died and Scar, he, he saw his father fall into a stampede and, um, it, and Scar made him feel like it was his fault. He told, like, he said that I'll keep it our secret, but you have to leave. Even though it was Scar's fault, it was Scar's fault. It's Scar who let him go. And Scar just wanted to be king because he felt like he had the right because he was the brother. Um, and Simba was so young. And it's like, how, you know, so he, and he was just like that kind of like the shadow side, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, basically said, if he basically like gave Simba an ultimatum, if you don't tell, if you don't, leave, I'm going to tell everyone that you killed your father, even though he didn't. Um, so he left. That's why I left. So I guess where I'm confused with the Lion King is and like the refusal of the call. Um, he goes into the, so he goes into the, um, jungle. I think it's the jungle, the forest, the jungle, the yeah, jungle with, uh, and he finds Simone, Timon and Pumbaa and he, like Rafiki shows up and Rafiki's like, um, like he basically like puts some, you know, words into his head saying like that he's like, he draws this little lion on a cave from his half a coconut and was like, like you're meant to be this. He brings about and shows him like the stars and like the, like the people in the stars and like how the lions are like his, the past lions and the past Kings were up there and he just wasn't ready. He was like, I don't want to do this. Like basically like he 
was thinking about it, but he decided he wasn't ready. And, you know, he's going through this turmoil in his head and Timon and Pumbaa are like, you know, trying to be his friend. And then Nala does show up and Nala's like, like, we need you. What are you doing out here? What is wrong? And like, you know, she ends up like saying certain things. I don't know exactly, but it's like, what are you doing here? Like, we need you. Like, I can't believe you're alive. Everyone thinks you're dead. And that's like, that kind of like, I think the refusal was when Rafiki showed him and he was like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and then, then yeah. I would also say like Rafiki was probably the the mentor a little bit. And then yes, completely. Um, he crosses the threshold, he goes into the jungle and then like he meets Timon and Pumbaa who I think are his, like the allies and he does like mm-hmm. Hakuna Matata and he, you know, with the whole, like it means no worries and whatever. Um, and like, that's kind of like some of the stuff that he learns. And then, um, he goes into the innermost cave and I don't, do you have an idea of like what his innermost cave was? Um, his innermost cave was like the, um, what's that word? Like, it was like the tug of war and it, it was like the little battle in his mind where he was like, oh, if I go back and I have to tell everyone what I did. Like, they're going to hate me. Um, I can't do that. Like, they're going to hate me. Like, I'm going to have to do this. Like, I'm like, I have to be a king. Like my father, like I let down my father. He just felt like he let down everyone and he doesn't want to go back to admit the wrongs he's done. And he just felt like he didn't know what to do. And he was like, how do I know I can even be a king? Like, how can I, how do I know I can even do this? And then Rafiki shows up again. Like Rafiki constantly like shows up during his time, kind of like hits him on the head with his coconut and starts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that makes sense. And then the ordeal is like usually like, what are some of the things that you've learned? And like kind of, I think the ordeal is a little bit like also what you're talking about is like, do I stay or do I go? Like, do I stay in the jungle or do I go? And then, um, like, Mufasa's ghost shows up, right? It's like, yeah, I think he shows up. And I think it's like, yeah, his something about him shows up. He, like, shows up in the stars or something. Like, he forms, like, a constellation and talks to him from the stars. Like, how do I know I can do this? And he, like, you know, basically coming down to it, he's like, you're my son. Like, mm-hmm. you are my son. Like, you can do this. Um, you know, it's like his father, even though he thinks, because he's convinced that he murdered his father. Right. And um, he was like, even though I, you know, killed my father, he still wants me to go back there. So I just feel like that was a that too. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back and this time he's got like Timon and Pumbaa with him and he's got Nala with him. So it's like he brought his allies with him. And then I think the like the roadblock, which is like usually like the last big test that you have is him and Scar kind of like meet again, right? And Scar tells everyone that Mufasa, that um, he killed Mufasa. And then um, I just remember, this is like the part that I just saw on TV, like Simba's kind of hanging or like um, Simba's hanging from a cliff and then Scar tells him like, I have a secret, I actually killed your father. And then I feel like mm-hmm. the resurrec- resurrection is when like Simba like finds this energy to jump off of the cliff and then like, but he won't, he doesn't actually end up killing Scar, right? On purpose no. at 
at least. Um, and then, um, yeah. then there's the returning with the elixir, which is that like he saves, like he's back at the kingdom and he saves it and pride lands always like turn back pride rock turns back to be good, which is kind of like a very long winded version of this, which well the reason I brought it up is I just feel like and when I interviewed Christy she kind of said the same thing that we have the choice to be like the heroes of our own journey right and so when you told your story I just think it was like such a perfect description right so like you had your ordinary world which is this world that you grew up in with the family that you grew up with and the house that you grew up with or grew up in and then there was a call to, I think in like people that are in recovery, I call it like the call to recover. It might not be like the call to adventure, but it is the call to recover. Like there's something in you that's like a curiosity about getting better. And then a lot of us refuse that call. We're either in denial or we don't actually want to get better. Or the eating disorder is too strong. So like there's an, an initial curiosity, but then we kind of just keep doing what we've been doing. Um, and then there's like the meeting of the mentors, like someone at some point comes around. And I actually think like your mentor, even though he was younger, could have potentially been your younger brother, you know, like, this, was. you know, that like showed up, not that he showed mm-hmm. up. I mean, he was in your life, but just like he, there was almost like a recognition of him as that, like that night that you had in yeah. your, um, in your room where you just like, were like, I could end it. But then you thought of him, like the meeting of this mentor. And then there's the crossing of the threshold, like all right, like I need to start getting better for the sake of my brother. Um, and then, you know, you cross the threshold and that's scary and it doesn't mean like life gets better. So there's tests and you meet enemies and you meet allies and you meet friends and fear foods and there's relapses and, you know, there's shit that happens with your family and you're kind of constantly called to have to recover over and over and over again. Um, you know, there's this thought of like confronting your deepest, darkest past, but then, the ordeal is like you actually start to learn some stuff, right? So you started to learn how to have a relationship with food. You started to learn about Reiki. You started to learn about yoga, um, all of this other stuff that you start to learn. And there's a reward to that. Life starts to get better, right? You're starting, you're in less pain. Your body doesn't hurt anymore. Um, and then there's like the, that roadblock of just like the eclipse, right? Shit hit the fan and mm-hmm. like, thing after traumatic event after traumatic event just kind of happened in your life. And the thing about the roadblock, it's like, it's, it's your choice. It's your chance to like prove what you've learned and to use what you've learned. And like one thing Kobe says a lot is when it's easy, it's easy. And it's when hard that you like recovery actually takes place. So like, um, and it sounds Mm -hmm. like it's not like that quick. Like it took you about six months to be like, right, no, I'm still eating because I know that I have to eat. And historically, maybe this would have been when I relapsed, but I'm not going to relapse. I'm using what I've learned. I'm going to start to go to therapy. I'm going to like, it sounded like you just started to actually take care of yourself. The resurrection is like being reborn, which like maybe is kind of where you are right now. And like the return with the elixir is once you've reached that point, you can now take what you've learned and help other people get there too. And so I just think like, I just want to thank you for sharing your story because I think it was such a first, just a great example of the hero's journey, but just second, just like, I'm, I'm happy that you had that meditation with that little girl that was like, you have to share my story, you know, because I think a lot of our eating disorders are because there is a little girl inside of us that just never had her voice heard. And um, so I want to mm-hmm. give you like a lot of credit for showing up today and telling your stories, particularly after, you know, a really rough 
past year, past six months. Um, so really, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Um, is there any like final things you want to say before we get going? Um, nothing is coming to mind. I just, um, I just want to say thank you for doing this. I think it's like an amazing thing to have, uh, to have access to hearing stories of eating disorders because it's so real and it's not talked about enough. Um, and eventually I feel like it could be, but I think that some people ignore it and don't want to acknowledge it, but because you created a space, we can do this. And I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I just, I really want to thank you. Um, for holding space and doing this for others. It's a really cool thing. And I, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful to be a part of it in any way that I can because I think it's important to to share these things to make them more real and mm-hmm. to be able to move on from them. Yeah, and like you, with them. Yeah, and like you said, it's just like, there's always one of the, pow- I think one of the things that's powerful about hearing stories is like, even if your story doesn't look exactly like the person who's speaking. There's little bits that might, you know, there's little bits of like, oh, that makes sense to me or, oh, it didn't look like that, but that concept makes sense to me. And then I think most importantly, the feeling of just like, okay, I'm not alone in this. Like they're saying exactly what I think, you know, and that Mm -hmm. like that idea of community. And, um, you know, when I was recovering, I didn't really have anybody that I could look to that was like, I mean, whether they were saying that they were recovered or not, but I just didn't have anybody that was even like, look, my life is much better now. You know, maybe I'm not fully recovered, but like things are much better. Um, And so that's what I hope this platform to be. is just like a way for people to like find similarities within stories, but also to hear hope. And I think that your story for sure did that. So again, thank you for being here. And, um, we have to chat more than once every six months. <laughs> yeah, that would be really nice. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening today. The homework for today is to write a poem about or a letter to your eating disorder. Write about how it makes you feel, what your eating disorder has taken from you, and whatever else you feel necessary. Then, write about recovery. What have you learned about yourself through your struggle with your eating disorder? What qualities in yourself have been illuminated to you? For example, for myself, my eating disorder stole my chance of going to a school that I loved. It made me feel small and unimportant and lonely. Through my struggle though, I realized that I was a leader and that what I say has a positive impact on other people. I learned that I was a fighter, but also that I was sensitive and that that was a gift. I would love to read your poems or letters. So if you feel like you need someone to witness what you wrote, send them my way. You can send them to kristen at alwaysabeing.com. A lot of the hero's journey is filled with archetypal characters, and archetypes are something that I believe can help people in recovery. If you're curious about your eating disorder recovery archetype, go to my website, alwaysabeing.com, and take the free quiz. With your results, you will get a guide that includes suggestions for recovery, jobs and hobbies you might be into, as well as even more journaling prompts. As always, I want to hear from you. If you are well into your recovery or recovered, or if you know of someone who may be, reach out to me at kristen at alwaysabeing.com to be interviewed on my podcast or to have the person that you know interviewed on my podcast. 
for more support, check out alwaysabeing.com. Thank you.